When our family moved to northern Kentucky from New York City in 2006, we rented an apartment for uh, two years. Our, our plan was to rent an apartment for two years and then to kind of get to know the area over that time and then to, to, to hopefully buy a home. By God's grace, that's exactly what ended up happening to the day. Like, we literally moved here on Memorial Day 2006. We moved into a, a home of our own, a house of our own, on Memorial Day 2008. Now, I had, was given access to the home that we were considering by a friend of mine who happened to have a key because he worked for the builder. So he gave me the key and he says, you can, this was new construction. Nobody was living there at the time. He said, why don't you after youth night, because I was doing youth ministry at the time, why don't you after forward go over there and tell me what you think and check out the house. You know, you can go and take Sarah. Well, Sarah was home with uh, at our time, our two kids at the time, Justin and Jonathan. And I went over there and I'm on my cell phone and I'm walking through the house um, telling Sarah what I think of the home. So I walk into the house and uh, she's like, so what's it like? And I'm giving her all these really great male city explanations of a house that I've never lived into that day. And I'm, I'm like, well, it's, it's, got like, it's got like doors and walls and a living room and then this place where we will eat. And then I recognize the furniture here. This is the bathroom. And... Walking, she's, she's like, you're killing me, Smalls. You're not telling me anything about this place. You've just described houses in America. So I'm like, I know, and I'm just trying to describe it to her. I was like, it looks really nice. There's this arched doorway. She's like, ooh, a detail. I'm like, yes, I got a detail. And she said, how about, like, outside? It's a nice yard. I said, well, I can't really, uh, I can't really see it. It's, it's nighttime. I said, but it's, I said, uh, I, said the grass looks, I said, the grass looks rough, to be honest with you, like really rough. And she was like, what do you mean it looks rough? How could you see it? I was like, well, I can't really, I can't see it, but just, I kind of walked across it and it's just, it's just, it's weird. On either side of the home, there's two other homes and they've got these nice lush lawns. This one just, I guess it just needs a little TLC because no one's been living here at all. It's just, it's just dry and crunchy and just, it's just no good at all. It's, it's, I said, in fact, I'm going to ask, and I mentioned my friend, I'm going to ask my friend about this because this just, this looks concerning to me. She was like, is it like, is it like hay? I was like, that's exactly what it's like. It's like straw, and I'm walking across it, and it's crunching underneath my feet. And I could not see Sarah, because I'm on the phone. But I'm convinced she looked like this. <laughs> Peter, that's straw. They, they put seed down, and they put straw on top of it, thinking, I have settled in my, in, in my decision of a spouse. I have lowered the bar. Because I literally thought this was just bad grass. Like I said, oh, it crunches when I walk on it. She said, that's straw, baby. They put seed down, and then they put straw on top of it so it grows. And I said, oh, you know, I'm just, this is like a month after I learned that a bush hog wasn't an animal. Like this, this, <laughs> I don't make this up. I'm not making this up at all. Someone says, oh, I got all this land. I think I might get a bush hog. That's it. They leave it there. I'm thinking, yeah, with all this land, you can get any number of animals. <laughs> it was like four months later. I'm not, I'm serious. Four months later, someone had a bush hog and said, I got to return that bush hog. And I went, not an animal. Gotcha. It's a learning experience. So I spoke to my friend. We ended up purchasing the house. And I spoke to my friend, and, I, and he was very careful in the way that he worded this. He said, now, you have to understand that this builder provides you with the means to establish a lawn. The means to establish a lawn. Meaning, this isn't plug and play. This is the means to establish a lawn. So you're going to have to work to establish it. And he said it several times. It has the means, pause, to establish a lawn. And I'm thinking, well, I, pause, don't know how to establish a lawn. So I ask around, I guess it's really easy, but I've never had a lawn. I've never even lived on the ground floor. I've lived in apartments my whole life. Now I have to establish this lawn system, establish a root system. So somebody volunteers from the church to come over to our house and they're telling me all this stuff about gardening and this stuff. And oh, here's what we could do. We could put a flower bed over here. We could put some knockout roses over there and do that. I'm like, I don't want you to knock out the roses. I don't have roses. I just want lawn. I just want grass. It was so intimidating. Then I spoke with Gary Walford. Raise your hand, you know Gary Walford. Gary Walford said, I can, this, is, this is the kind of advice I needed. He said, Peter, I can get grass to grow out of the bed of my truck if I water it enough. That's all I needed. 
all I needed because I could water this thing. This much I can handle. And I watered it and watered it and watered it and what water, water. I sprinkled it. I, 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 I just set up the lawn sprinkler, just watered the heck out of it. Didn't care how high our water bill went because it was going to be cheaper than having to come in and fix it later. And eventually we got this really nice lawn. That was really, really good. And then our house sold in 42 days. I think they made the decision from the curb based on the lawn. I'm convinced that that was the selling point of the house. They drove up and they're like, we got to move here. What with that lawn and all? It's probably not the case. Grass grows greenest where it's watered. Grass grows greenest where it's watered. When I'm married... I am provided the means of establishing a one flesh union. Positionally, in the eyes of God, when I put this ring on and I am married, the two have become one. And what God has brought together, let no man ever put asunder. The two have become one. But we need to work out in our lives to become what we are. It's like my child putting on a Little League uniform having never swung a bat. I can put his name on that list, but now I have to teach him how to be the baseball player that he is. The two have become one flesh through the act of marriage. We are one, but we need to become what we are as we look at our lives. And just like the grass grows greenest where it's watered, our marriages take time and effort and attention And I am convicted over having looked at my marriage as if it was a rotisserie marriage. I thought, okay, we had a little bit, a very little bit of premarital counseling. We have the Bible. We have each other. And we have a firm view of God's sovereignty. It'll all work out. We were friends beforehand. Why wouldn't that just be the same now that we're living together? That friendship just carries over, right? We enjoyed hanging out together beforehand. Now we're just going to hang out a lot. Now I just don't have to take you home. In another sense, I get to take you home. This is not really that big of a deal. It's everything that was good about dating just ramped up. It's just going to be, just, just take it up a notch. Now we get to do this and have sex. Woo! This is just going to be great. But grass grows greenest where it's watered. It takes time. And God has given me the means To have oneness with another human being. The closest relationship I could ever have with another human being I can have with my wife. But this ain't a Tolkien story. It's not a magic ring. It's just a ring. And if we don't work to establish the oneness that God provides for us in function, in action, it's not going to happen. Take a look at this quote uh, that I found. It's, it's, it's not even from a, a Christian, so far as I know. But it's just a fact, uh, by a survey at least, from, from what, what the survey results were. The determining factor in whether wives feel satisfied with the sex, romance, and passion in their marriage is, by 70%, the quality of the couple's friendship. For men, the determining factor is, by 70%, the quality of the couple's friendship. So, men and women come from the same planet after all. How many of you remember that book from way back when, Men Are From Mars?, Women are from Venus, so there's a play on that saying, you know what? Turns out we're not from different planets after all. Happy marriages are based on a deep friendship. And by this, I mean a mutual respect for and enjoyment of each other's company. These couples tend to know each other intimately. They are well-versed in each other's likes and dislikes and personality quirks and hopes and dreams. They have an abiding regard for each other and express this fondness not just in the big ways... But in little ways, day in and day out, friendship fuels the flames of romance because it offers the best protection against feeling adversarial toward your spouse. Ephesians chapter 4, hopefully you're open there. I'm going to read to you from the first couple of verses of that chapter. Now, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. It's not a marriage verse. It's not a marriage verse, but it certainly can be applied to our marriages. Watch this. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. Look at verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, this isn't in your notes, 
but I want you to get this, write it down, or just think about it. Unity doesn't just happen. Unity doesn't just happen. You never trip into unity. You never catch it. It's not a cold. Unity doesn't just happen. It has to be, what? Maintained. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, if you were to read through Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, and you were to come upon this part, you would realize Paul is very concerned about unity within the body of Christ. And we should be concerned about that. We should want our church, so Grace Fellowship Church right now, has probably fourteen to 1,500 adults, probably... No, probably, I don't know, maybe a little less, maybe three to 500 kids coming here on, 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 on any regular Sunday. We want us to be united. We want us to be united as a body of Christ. Why? Because we are family. That's really important that 1,900 people, to the best of our ability, be united. How much more important is it for two? Because if one's out, that whole one flesh union is split in two. In a church, it could be a couple of rogue people. And I'm sure in a church our size, we probably do have people who are not on board with us, who are not exactly united with what we're united about and what we're excited about. And that's fine because the vast majority of us are. What's the vast majority of a marriage? <laughs> you got two people or you got half? We need to endeavor, just like the church needs to maintain unity. Folks, if we see that for Several hundreds of people. Why would that not be all the more important for two people? To endeavor to maintain, to strive for unity, to realize that these things don't just happen. That unity is not something we're just going to fall into. That we're not going to put on this ring and magically, all of a sudden, we're just one. We have sex, we're one. That's just not reality. What about you? How much time, how much thought, how much attention, how much affection, how much, how much planning, how much emotion do you put into saying, I want to make sure that our marriage has unity, that we can look at each other honestly and say, hey, same team. An important but often overlooked aspect of marriage is friendship. You can go to a bookstore and you can find books on help in sex and marriage, help for building a business between two married people, help for communication, help for parenting. It is not common for you to walk down the aisles of a bookstore, Christian or non-Christian, and find books that are talking about how to maintain friendship. It's almost like it's assumed. Well, I mean, you're friends, right? You're married. It's not a ton out there. Paul Tripp writes a great book called What Did You Expect? And he attacks it really, really, really well. I would recommend that to you. Um, it's been a while since I've read Dave Harvey's um, When Sinners Say I Do. Uh, but there's some friendship aspects within that too. Outside of that, there's no like friendship and marriage section in a bookstore that's just piling over with books. But friendship is an important but often overlooked uh, aspect of marriage. The Bible shows the connection of marriage and friendship. Turn to Song of Solomon 5. Ooh, Song of Solomon. (laughs) Song of Solomon chapter 5. Now, this is some of the most deepest, most profound poetry written in all of Scripture between a husband and a wife. And I want you to see what is said here. But I'm going to skip down to verse 10. Now, this is the woman talking. My beloved is radiant and ruddy. If you know Sarah, this might sound familiar to you as she's told you about me. She describes me with these words often. I, I, <laughs> my husband, he's a pastor. We have four kids. He's ruddy. Sorry. My beloved is radiant and ruddy. 
distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy. That's hard to read. Black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a a full pool. Now listen, I want you to understand the detail with which she's describing her beloved. I want you to understand the words that she uses for how enraptured she is with him, how in love she is with him. I don't mind saying this, how much she wants him, how much he wants her, how they are into each other like big time. This is same team. Let's keep reading. Verse 13, his cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet smelling herbs. His lips are lilies dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewel. His body is polished ivory bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. He is altogether desirable. This guy that she is talking about, her husband. And then look at what she says. This is my beloved and this is my what? Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about how much I love him, how much I want him, how attracted I am to him, how the Lord's made him. This is what his arms look like. This is what his eyes look like. This is what his legs look like. I want him so much. I'm so in love with him. This is my beloved. And then in that list of intimate details, she says, this is my beloved and this is my friend. It's not just that he looks good. It's not just that he acts good. We're friends. Same team. The Bible shows the connection between marriage and friendship. This is my beloved and this is my friend. And here's what I'm trying to say, folks. If friendship is an integral part of marriage, now there's a whole ton of Bible verses for us to apply to our marriage. That may never say husband. That may never say wife. That may never say marriage, but have a lot to do with friendship. So we look at those verses, verses that we might be familiar with because we're used to talking about them with our small group, used to talking about them with an accountability partner, with another BFF, and say, you know what? This applies to my marriage. You know, verses like Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times. That's not a marriage verse. I don't have to love her at all times. That's for friends. Not true. A friend loves at all times. Proverbs 18, 24, there is a friend who sticks closer than A brother. We use that to talk often about how we have biblical body life with one another, right? That you can be closer. I'm curious if if you if you're like me in this. I'm I am closer relationally speaking to the members of the body of Christ than I am to my own blood family in many ways, shape, and form. How many of you can say that that's probably true for me? There's some there's some people in my small group in my church that I'm closer to than my blood family. There are friends that stick closer than A brother, can that apply to my marriage? Yeah. Should it apply to my marriage? Yeah. I'm like, no, I got my wife and I got my friends. I got my wife, I got my best friend, I got my husband and I got my BFF. I've got my my wife and then I have these other people that I'm really transparent with, the accountability partners in my life. But this is my wife. And I have my friends. Can my wife stick closer than a brother? Can your husband stick closer than a brother? This is my beloved. And this is my friend. Plans are established by counsel, but by wise guidance wage war. That you say, you know what? Get get counsel from other people. Get counsel from friends who also love the Lord. Listen to me. My friends give me some of the best counsel. Most of them. You know, Job had some friends that didn't give him some awesome counsel. But I have friends, by God's grace, that can give me really, really, really wise counsel. But no one can call my crud like my wife. So my friends can give me wise counsel about what I want to do. But it's my wife who says, this is, this is good, but I know you tend to think like this. Is this playing in your life? I know that when you reason like this, this can be at play in your life. I know you think really logically through things, but is it possible 
that what God is trying to accomplish in you right now is not logical, but just between you and him. That was a recent one. That was hard to hear. Other people can't say that to me. Not because they're afraid to. They don't know me that well. They can't catch me. That, do, you, do you know what I mean? They don't know how I tend to reason. They don't see me as well as she sees me. They don't see me respond to my kids in the way that I do, good and bad. They don't see me interact with the word the way that you see me interact with the word up here after years of study, after, after hours of study, after years in ministry. She sees it in real time. When Silas is in my way, she sees it in real time when kids are crawling on me, but I have to get things done. Then she sees how I apply it. She knows my weak spots. Plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. I want my wife to be my best friend. I really need her counsel. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. There are so many times when I can act like I'm appreciative of a friend speaking truth to me, but then hurt if my wife does. That used to be the case. Why? This is faithful to the wounds of a friend. You ain't a friend, you're a wife. You're supposed to be nice and loving, sexy and stuff. My friend, I don't want him to be sexy, that's weird. I just want him to wound me, (laughs) wound me well. What about within my marriage? Can my wife, can, can your husband, can your wife wound you for your improvement and for your growth? I got friends for that. This is my beloved and this is my friend. Iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens another. Do you think God can use my wife to do that? No, it's about fellowship, accountability, small groups, transformation. Yes and amen. Can God not use your husband for that? Can God not use my wife for that? Absolutely. But if we say, no, 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 that's separate, not marriage verses. That's, the, that's fellowship stuff. That's growth in Christ stuff. That it's, that's not the same thing. That's a different thing. Not true. These are verses that apply to our marriage. 1 Corinthians 13, categorically not a marriage. Like, doesn't even mention marriage. Love is patient, kind, does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. Ecclesiastes 4, cord of three strands, not quickly broken. Not about marriage. True nonetheless. But this verse, 1 Corinthians, 4, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and following, is about how brothers and sisters love one another within the body of Christ. That applies to my marriage. If we want to have the same team mentality. So here's what I want to do. You'll see in your book, there are three types of marriages listed. Okay? That I got from a book that I've read several years ago. But what I've sought to do is then break it down to say, okay, what do each of these marriages um, share? What might they look like? Because what I'm hoping you can do is by the end of this session, by the end of this conference, you can look back on these notes and say with your spouse... Where do you think we are? Which one describes our marriage the best? Okay? The first one is going to be back-to-back marriages. So I want you to picture the two spouses, one standing this way and one standing this way. I told, I've preached this elsewhere. This is the first time I've actually preached it with Sarah in the room. So I told Sarah, I was like, maybe you can come up and you can just act. She was like, no, I think people can picture it. So I was like, okay. <laughs> picture Sarah. I'll, I'll make a wife. Help her to him. Anyway, pic, picture Sarah facing this way. And I'm facing this way. We are facing two opposite things. Okay? We are married. We wear a ring. We're married. We share the same last name. But we're back to back. You know what we share? We share a home. We live together. We're basically roommates. We're friends with benefits. That's it. We share a home. Um, Do you know what we pursue? Our individual goals. Our individual goals. Back to back. I'm going after that. She's going after that. They might not be, watch this, be careful. They might not be evil goals. They might not be evil goals. She's becoming the best mom she can become. I'm becoming the best pastor I can become. I'm focused on career. She's focused on home. Those, are, th- those aren't bad things. 
They are facing two different directions. Back to back, individual goals. How they roll, what's their MO? I do what I want. I do what I want. I've got my eye fixed on that goal. She's got her eye fixed on that goal. I I do what I want. I do what I need to do. I have needs. Lots of communication about I and me. I've got to do this. This is good for me. This is how I grow. I have these needs. I speak this love language. It's possible to be bilingual, by the way. I speak this. You're not speaking to me how I, I, me, me, I. I do what I want. I'm going after that. She's going after that. I'm getting dizzy. You sure you can't come? Sorry. How they converse. Somewhere between not at all and impersonal facts. What do I mean by impersonal facts? The weather, traffic, politics, the latest score, the latest game, impersonal facts. These aren't evil. Right? It doesn't say silence and pornography. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, just things that have nothing to do with my heart. It's rainy today. Hear what Trump said? Did you hear about that? Impersonal facts. We talk about the things outside of ourselves. Or silence. I'm certain in a crowd this large, there are people who live together Silently. Best case scenario, these people are acquaintances. Worst case scenario, they're enemies. But they're married enemies. Not for each other. Not about each other. How do they roll? I do what I want. I'm about that. I'm about that. Well, good luck with that. Then there's this side-by-side marriage. Okay? What they share. Projects. Okay, now, side-by-side marriage is is much better than a back-to-back marriage. Okay, but we are sharing projects. So now, instead of her... Who was going this way? She was. Her pursuing that goal, and I'm pursuing that goal, we're pursuing the same goal, right? We're side by side, we're pursuing the same goal. Uh, What they pursue? Project maintenance and completion. Okay, so it's all about the thing, right? It's all about the thing. In fact, that's how we roll. We do all the things, right? We do the things. We do what's best for the project. Now, what's the project? The kids, we're going to raise these kids. The church, we're going to plant this church. The business, we're going to start this business together. We're focused on these things. Whatever it is, we're going to build that house. We're going to renovate this thing. We're going to flip these, whatever. They're not bad or evil projects. I'm assuming they're not bad or evil projects. Let's deal drugs together. I'm not saying that's the same team. I'm not assuming that. I'm assuming these are good projects. But we're together on them, side by side, all about the thing. So what do we do? How do we roll? Uh, We do what's best for the thing. We do the things. How do we converse? Somewhere between impersonal facts and personal opinions. So we're talking about the impersonal facts about the thing or personal opinions. We are talking about how we feel, maybe showing a little bit of our heart about the what? About the thing, about the project. So we're side by side. And, and, and here, here's the thing. Brad touched on this yesterday, and, I, and I, I, really, I really want to touch on it again. We're side by side, and our marriage is all about the thing. But if your marriage is all about the thing, and then the thing goes away, the kids move out, you sell the business, you retire, the church goes under, the foundation of your marriage is gone because we're all about the thing. So side by side is we work really hard on that thing. And that's, that's good. It's good that we're working together. But it's not necessarily friendship. Because I would say as a best case scenario, we're partners. But a worst case scenario is colleagues. We're partners when it comes to this thing. We're going to work together on this thing. Let's nail this thing. But it's not about us. It's about the thing. 
And I can tell you for a long time, what God did in, in, in our marriage was take us from back to back to side by side. And I thought we'd arrived. Because we had planned to wait a year before we were considering having kids and God had planned for us to not. So God gave us a child in the first year, our, our anniversary, first year anniversary was November 9th. Justin was born on November 28th. Now we had a project. By God's grace, I really believe that we were back to back during that time. I think I was super obsessed with proving myself in a church that I was a member in before, but now as a pastor, and I had to show everyone that I could really be a pastor, and I was a big boy. Nobody's fault but my own. Church was, was treating me fine. I was just proud and insecure and had to prove myself, and I was just going to work hard and do these things, and Sarah became sick with morning sickness, and I like to solve problems. Turns out you can't solve morning sickness without having the baby, so I couldn't help at all, so I couldn't do anything, and we're newly married, so, so she's going to be sick, and I'm not going to be able to help. And I was just like, do you mind if I just go to work and hang out with people? She was, and she was like, I guess not. She's never been married before. I've never been married before. It's like, well, sitting around here, you don't want me to. You know how some people really want to be cared for when they're sick? And then there's people like my wife at the opposite end of the spectrum who are just like, get thee behind me. Don't coddle. Don't do, she doesn't want me to you know, stand there with her and do that stuff. But there's still ways I could have served her. Out of my mind, I'm like, I can't fix this. If I can't fix this, I got to go. She's like, I guess you should go. You can't fix it. You're kind of an idiot. Okay, fine. So she's sick, and I'm obsessed with ministry. She's sick. I'm a social butterfly. She's going to stay home and just rest. She's going to work at the bank, take two buses to go to work, come back, throw up when she gets home, and just hang out at home. There's nothing we can really do. We're not talking. We're not really sharing a lot of intimacy. We're not having a lot of fun, so... She's like, I don't want to keep him down. And I'm like, I don't really want to be down. So I just want to go out and do my own thing. Back to back. Welcome to the world, Justin. Side by side. That was a massive improvement. That's still not the end all be all. Better than back to back. We're not enemies. We're partners. We're going to raise this kid. We're going to teach him. We're going to raise him in the ways of the Lord. Let's talk a lot about... We spoke mostly about the kid. Mostly about the project. Mostly about how much we love him and want to raise him and how we want to be good parents. These are good things. What does the Bible say about being a parent? These are good things. But not face to face. Back to back. Side by side. Face to face. Because you know what face to face marriages share? They share friendship. It's not about the project. It's not about individual goals. It's about the team. They pursue each other. So now it's not just about Justin, but it's about us as a family, the three of us. Love my kids. But it's also about the two of us. We had a lady come up, to, uh, come up to Sarah in our church, Jackie, who said, you can put him to bed really early. The baby, not me. I, I'd like to stay up. <laughs> you could put him to bed really early. We thought, we'll just kind of lay, you know, really? We can adjust the schedule in such a way that we could put this kid down really early? Yeah, and then have time with your husband. You know, sometimes you just need someone to give you permission for something that you don't need permission for. That was one of those things. Now we can pursue us. How do we roll? We do what's best for the team. Hey, same team. We do what's best for the team. How do we talk? We talk about personal opinions and personal feelings. Somewhere between, but it's personal either way. I'm going to open up and share. This is how I feel about this. I feel strongly about this. I'm struggling in this. God is working in me in this. Do you think I'm off? Do you think I'm on? Do you think, what? Personal feelings, personal opinions about life, 
It's not to say we never talk about things outside. We don't talk about projects. Of course we do. But our life is not built on the project. Our life is built on Christ and the unity that we have in him and with each other. Hey, same team. Same. Same team. Best case scenario is that we would be best friends. I don't have a worst case scenario for you. I've never been accused of being an optimist. I can't see how this could result in a worst case scenario. So let me ask you a question. Look at your marriage. Back to back. Side by side. Face to face. Can you look back on your marriage? I can look back on the almost 15 years we've been married and see all three. What about you? Can you look at your marriage and say, you know what, I think over the course of our marriage, here's where we were. You may not have hit all three. And then probably most importantly, where is it now? Same team. Face-to-face friendship, side-by-side project management. What do we talk about? What's, what's the burden uh, on our hearts? What, what, do we, what do we think through? How do we process life together? So what I'm going to ask you uh, to do, if you would, please, is we're going to quickly finish with seven key ingredients to building friendship in marriage. And um, I have asked my wife to join me on stage for this because as we were talking about um, this session, she was offering lots of helpful insights as I was preparing the message. And so I was like, ooh, I should say that. Ooh, I should say that. Ooh, I should say that. And I said, why don't you just say that? And she threw up a little in her mouth, and she said that she would be willing to do that. So, um, do you have a microphone? You do have a microphone. Welcome. Come, have a seat. They didn't clap for me. I'm okay. Seven key ingredients to building marriage. So basically what we're going to do is I'm going to teach through this and Sarah's going to drop little, little nuggets as she's going to interrupt me. Okay. She's going to, which is hard to do. She's going to interrupt me and she's going to drop little nuggets of information. Uh, her perspective on these things, on these key ingredients of how we would build friendship and marriage. That'll give you some perspective on what our marriage um, looks like and has looked like over the years. So the first point, lean into the awkward and remember it'll only seem weird until it doesn't. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Lean into the awkward and remember it's only going to seem weird until it doesn't. Listen, I'll be right back. Listen. There's nothing that you don't do right now that you're going to start doing. It's like, I feel so normal. There's things in our marriage that we weren't doing and then we decided to start to do these things and they felt kind of weird. Why? Because we're not used to doing them. And I think the devil, your own sinful nature, you you say whatever you want, would love nothing more than for you to say... Let's try, oh, that just feels weird. No, let's not do that. Let's pray together. Oh, I'm not used to praying. Yeah, let's try that next week. Friends, lean in. Lean into the awkward. Just get through it. Understand that as you build things into your marriage and build friendship into your marriage, if you don't have it right now, it's going to seem a little weird because it's new. Things only seem awkward until they don't. It will become normal. But I know that's, so I don't have a verse for that, but... I'm just saying, lean into it. Don't let that scare you. This doesn't feel right. It's right. This doesn't feel good. I don't know if we should be doing this. Maybe prayer is something I should be doing personally and not with my wife. I should be doing it on my own. It's only going to feel awkward for a while. Push through. It's worth it. Lean into it. Number two, make confession and forgiveness the norm instead of the exception. And you'll recall that here, um, Jesus reminds us that we're supposed to expect, thank you, that we're supposed to expect to be forgiving people constantly. 70 times 7, right? It's not just a one-time thing that we're supposed to be forgiving one another. Peter comes up and says to him, Lord, how often, how often am I supposed to forgive this guy? And Jesus says, yeah, not 7 times, but 70 times 7. Confession and forgiveness is not the tool we take out because we just had a really big, what I call knockdown, drag out, blow up argument. Now we have to confess and forgive. Confession and forgiveness needs to be normative in our marriages and in our lives. That we're used to, we're, we're creating a, a, a place, a safe place to say, 
hey, listen, I messed up. And I can do that without knowing, knowing that I'm not going to be backhanded either literally or metaphorically. That she'll well, welcome, go ahead. Well, and if, if we practice confession and forgiveness and we make that the norm in the little things, in the daily mundane, right. um, it's going to make the big things that much easier to tackle because you'll have been, it's the norm to confess and forgive. Yeah. See? She's good. Same team. Same team. Thank you. That's like the first time I've ever said it. It really is. It'll only feel weird until it's not. Thank you, brother. That's the lead pastor right there. Happy birthday, bro. Happy birthday. Delight in and identify your differences. So I say delight in and identify your differences. Literally know what they are. Oh, we're so different. I'm like a guy. She's like not. No, don't, don't. People don't change in fuzzy land. Ambiguity is the death of sanctification. Delight in and identify your differences. She's really creative. I'm really not. He's a planner. I'm, a, I'm more of a dreamer. Delight in the fact that you're different. Because I used to look at our differences as there's ways that I am and ways that she falls short. No arrogance there. There's ways, there's ways that I am and ways that she's not. So it would be so cool if I could grow her in those ways because that's how God wants people to be, like me. And we need to remember what God said in Genesis 2, that the Lord God said it is not good that the man should be alone. He needs help. Okay, so he in and of himself, he needs someone to compliment him. I need help. There are differences that we have that I should look at as bad. You're so this. You're so that. You're so this. Realize that that's how God created her. And we're not talking about issues of sin, but issues of difference, issues of preference. That makes our team all the more stronger. Delight in them and identify them. One example was that I can tend to be very big picture, dream. Uh, I can get big ideas, and Peter's more in the details and practical. And um, you would probably say right, or at least mm-hmm. you would have at one time. Said As the that. Lord would have me. But I remember there was this one time when um, I was reading some books and really. Um, Growing in different areas pertaining to sacrifice and, and, and just what we do with our time and our money. And, but I remember coming home one day and saying to Peter, I think we need to sell everything. Like, big stuff. Like, what are we doing? And I just had a different perspective. He did. But, he, in his, but you didn't view that. You saw me for how God made me and how I think, but you also balanced me out in that. You were like, no, we don't have to mm-hmm. sell everything. And this is how, let's find ways that we can honor God in our lives. But does that make sense? Yeah, I think we that, makes, does that, that makes sense. Does that make sense? We were talking about that last night. And uh, there was a day and an age where she either wouldn't have told me that or would have told me that. And I would have scoffed just like, that's the most ridiculous thing. Like, just this face. Doesn't this face, isn't it? What are you even talking about? We're going to sell everything. And she was like, well, I just think, she said, I think the Lord is leading us to maybe do these things. And I think, I said, I don't think Francis Chan is the Lord. But, but nothing against him. Awesome. I, I'm sorry I said that. We'll mute that out when we put it online. So it's, it's, I just think that there's a different perspective. And I think that was a really emotionally gripping video. But we need to think through these things. So I like to flag and flagpole. I am... A flagpole. She is a flag. Without her, I am a boring pole that's grounded and just just standing there. Without me, she's going to blow away with the wind. And the two of us make a good team. Because I'm just going to stick with a... Plant me here. I'm not a plotter necessarily, but I don't want to think outside of the box unnecessarily. And I define... Necess- that's a plotter, isn't it? Now that I think about it when I say that. <laughs> We balance each other out. We delight in and identify our differences instead of scoffing at them and seeing them as shortcomings. Okay, let's keep going. Actively celebrate the wins, especially the seemingly small stuff. Okay? Um, James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Every good gift. Every, every perfect gift is from above. So when we were going through times when we were having these long, drawn-out, 
loud battles and conflicts that would go on for hours. And then we would try to quickly resolve it, and it wouldn't be quickly resolved. And it's late at night and all this other stuff. The next time we had a disagreement and it didn't take as long, is that a good thing? Yeah. But it's tempting to think, yeah, but we're still going at it. Yeah, but guess what? That didn't take a day. That took an hour and a half. Really? Really? God is working. If you don't celebrate the small stuff, you will be a glass half empty person your whole life. Because God builds things. He doesn't just fix. He doesn't just do that. He can do that, but he is glorified through the process. So that as God was growing us and we were not going at it like cats and dogs as long or as in-depth or as, 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 as maliciously as we were before, we needed to celebrate those things. I don't think we did that often enough. I think we were still like, yeah, but there's still a thing. We need to celebrate the small stuff. God is working. And there was some times where we'd look at each other and say, <laughs> like in a tense moment, we're like, well, that wasn't as long as the other time. And it felt fake. We're like, yay. <laughs> that was shorter. Fake it. Fake it. Say it and fake it. The feelings will follow later. Acknowledge it. That was shorter. Okay. Let's keep going. Pray together. Well, that's obvious. Here's another non-marriage verse. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Um, I think Sarah and I started out our marriage praying uh, when we needed to, which was in times of a crisis, an emergency. Somebody needed it. Somebody was in the hospital. Somebody was going to die. And before we eat to remove the curse. But it wasn't a normative part of our life. Uh, we would pray separately. Not a sin. Not a sin. But prayer is a real intimate time with the Lord. And our marriage and our friendship was helped when I could hear how she talked to my Heavenly Father. When she could hear how I spoke to my Heavenly Father. There's nothing the matter with praying on your own. But praying together is a real helpful part of marriage. Now... You may be the type of person who's going to carve out 90 minutes to do that every day. Great. Do that. Don't be the type of person who says, I'm going to wait for the season of life until I have 90 minutes every day to pray with my wife. Because I'd rather you pray for 20 seconds before you leave for work every day with your wife than for you not to pray with her at all. Pray together. There are many times before I leave for work where I'm just like, all right, Let's pray. And I gather together whatever child is somewhat dressed and nearby. And I'm like, hey, let's pray. You, you. Okay, let's go. And we'll pray. And it's about 30 seconds. We pray together. That's not the only time we pray together. But don't discount the small times. This way you have no time. No, I'm going to wait till we can really carve out this hour. Your, your goal is to make it normal. That is part of your family culture is we... We pray, even if it's for 20 seconds or even it's for, for longer than that. Um, and also praying, it's a habit we're working on, but praying in the moment for things. We do that all the time separately, but together or with a child, we hear something, a conflict happens. Um, it's creating that habit because once that habit is established and that's the norm, um, then I really think you're going to go deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make, I like how you said that. We're making it normal. We're defining normal or redefining normal. Okay, we have to keep going. Brian's going to get upset. He gets violent. Okay, don't just hear, lean in and listen. Don't just hear, lean in and listen. We went out to eat. I hear a lot of things, right? I'm listening to my wife. Now, that's a metaphor, but I want to lean in and listen. Listen is not something you can passively do. Listen to something you actively do. So these three verses, they're in your outline. Right next to Proverbs 18, 13, listen. Right next to Proverbs 18, 15, listen actively. Okay, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge. I want to listen actively. I want to learn. I want to understand. I want to say, help me understand. I think what you're saying is this. You have a listen acronym from Pastor Brad yesterday. So helpful. Look into eyes, inquire, express sympathy, stop trying to solve problems. Let's talk, let's learn. Listen, listen actively, listen actively for facts. 
So if you were to write down things next to that, listen, listen actively, listen actively for facts. Don't you have some cool quote that you got from Pinterest oh, or something? Oh, there's an Emerson quote that's, there is a difference between truly listening and waiting for your turn to talk. It's not even biblical and it cuts my heart. Okay, lastly, never graduate. Commit to lifelong learning. You're never going to get your degree in this and move on. Um, she changes. I don't. No, I'm kidding. We change. We're not the same people we were when we first started dating in 2001. We change. Says, I think I've got it now. Well, I've got it now, for now. But we've got to have this commitment to continue to learn one another and continue to develop our friendship, continue to establish oneness because we're not too far away from going side by side and then back to back. We need to be on the same team. Same team. Say to the microphone. Same team. Thank you. Here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to consider where you stand in your marriage right now. But I also gave you 50 questions to ask your spouse. Get some unhurried time together. It could be on a date. It could be on your couch. It could be anytime. Just you and your spouse. Ask these questions. Talk to each other. Ask these questions of one another to learn whether you say, these seem superficial. Yeah, do you know the answers? Well, no. Learn each other. Start developing that same team, that oneness, by learning these things that seem superficial, but eventually become deeper and create vulnerability in your marriage and establish a same team mentality. Father, we actively pursue these things First and foremost, because of the oneness that we have in you because of Christ. You model unity. You have brought me on your team. As an adversary, you have made me a friend. You've brought me to the banquet table and adopted me as a son. Lord, help us to pursue unity and oneness and endeavor to maintain it in our marriages, in our churches, with our kids, but especially in our marriages. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.